gobblers and wallows Come at the grand light making a stand The smell of death is all around And at night when the cold wind blows No one cares, nobody knows Hello, my name is Chris My name is Kelsey And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And we're continuing our 2020 year in review with the best of 2020. All the best movies that Kelsey and I covered on the show in 2020. In an otherwise dick shit year to <laughs> steal a phrase from Kelsey. <laughs> These are our favorite movies that we watched last year. Uh, our top 10, which ends up actually being more than 10. Yeah. Uh, just barely. But yes, because there is a six-way tie for seventh place. So these are more like our top 12 movies is what that comes out to be. Okay. Starting with, from November 30th, episode 163, 1954's Dial M for Murder. Wow, one of our least listened to episodes. Is it really? Yeah, of this year, yeah. Interesting. Like. Because it's not really a horror movie, maybe. I don't know. But it's so famous. And it's good. And neither of us had seen it Whenever before. Whenever we then. watch Hitchcock, people are not very interested, except for Psycho. None of our other uh, Hitchcock movies get a lot of listens. Don't you have any culture? <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes score of 89, you and I both gave it a 90. That's what all of our tied for 7th place movies have is a 90. Nothing under 90 in our top 10, which is a great sign. Yes. A lot of good movies. Yeah, this one was super tense. The dialogue was fantastic. It keeps you on the edge of the seat the entire time. It's very good. As little of a horror as it is. Yeah, not a lot happens in it, but everything that does is very well put together. It is, yeah. So well choreographed and acted and written and paced and filmed. Yep. So here's what we had to say at the time about 1954's Dial M for Murder. Up next, the first of Hitchcock's three pictures with Grace Kelly from Warner Brothers in 1954, Dial M for Murder. Based on a play by Frederick Knott, who also wrote the screenplay, Kelly plays the wealthy wife of a former tennis pro, played by Ray Milland. Worried his wife is going to leave him and desperate to secure her inheritance, he figures out a way to prevent the former and guarantee the latter without implicating himself. From 1954, also with Robert Cummings and British actor John Williams reprising the stage role, which won him a Tony Award, Dial M for Murder. Should people watch Dial M for Murder? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. But we should also say this is 100% not a horror movie. It is a thriller that involves murder. Yes. And there are tense, tense scenes, uh, even those involving fear. So, like, it kind of teeters on the edge of horror, but it's really not. It's too much of a play to really be horror. Oh, it's very much a play. <laughs> I mean, the whole movie almost entirely takes place in the living room of a single apartment. Well, when you think about it, it's it's basically wait until dark. In a way. I mean, they're structured way different. But it's very, very similar in that it's a home invasion and sure. things go don't go to according to plan. 
Yes. Yeah, but she's like always under threat of murder in in that movie. In this movie, there's a scene where she is under threat of murder. And then the rest is like a mystery that we already know the answer to. And it plays out really interestingly. Like it was fascinating. I mean, of course, right? Like it's a Hitchcock movie. Most of those are really good. It's so well shot and well paced. It is, but I don't think it's as like, it's not as creative. I feel like almost like this is like baseline Hitchcock. You know what I mean? Like it's not. I guess, but I couldn't look away. Yes. But I think a lot of that has to do with less with the directing and more with the script and with the acting. I thought everyone did a great job here, but I didn't see much of actually like impressive Hitchcock stuff. You know what I mean? I guess. So I'm glad to say I've seen it and it is very, very good, but it doesn't stand out as like particularly Hitchcockian, I guess. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Very much. I mean, yeah, no, it's very, very good. And even though it isn't really a horror movie, if you haven't seen it, you definitely, definitely should. It's very well acted, very well written. It's very well directed, but there's not much to direct. True. Here. But it's very, very You just have to keep track of everything that's happening in the script. And it keeps it interesting. It does. It keeps it moving. Where, where, like, you know, sometimes a play in movies can drag. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like that at all. Like we said, 90% of the movie takes place just in this apartment. Yes. And you're never bored. Yes. It's fantastic. So what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I would guess it's pretty high, maybe like a 88. 89%. There you go. Dial M for Murder, maybe slightly off-peak Hitchcock. Yeah. I mean, I'd say his, like, big ones come later. Like, all the ones, like, The Birds and Psycho all came after this. Rear Window, uh, North by Northwest, these are all post-Dial M for Murder. But by any other standard, it's a sophisticated, chillingly sinister thriller, and one that boasts an unforgettable performance from Grace Kelly to boot. Hey, she was all right. She was, she was good. Fine. She was good. But, like, I don't know that she was necessarily any better than any of the other people in here. Yeah. I guess probably because she didn't act very much. She did a lot of Hitchcock roles. Because mm-hmm. he liked the blondes and he liked her in particular. Mm-hmm. It has a 75 on Metacritic and, of course, no cinema score because it's 1954. Would you call that overrated or underrated? It's pretty close. I was going to give it a 90. Yeah, I w- that's exactly what I was going to give it. A 90. Very, very good. I'm very, very happy with this. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not a horror movie. Who cares? We've we've treaded the line. This is just one step over the line. Next thing you know, we'll be doing Hallmark Originals. Moving on to another movie that was tied for seventh place from October 19th, episode 158, 1993's Hocus Pocus. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> you gave it a 95. I gave it an 85 because as much as much as I love it. Wow. I love it, and it is in our top ten. It's just, it's very obviously not a, as objective as you can be about something like this, objectively good movie. It's a very subjectively good movie. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And like we talked about in the last episode with Monster Squad, a lot of that has to do with nostalgia. Kelsey, you can quote the entire fucking movie. (laughs) So it's a little unfair when it comes to 
scoring it. It's so good. But it does feel like it deserves a place in our top 10 of the year because we just love it so much. It is so much fun to watch it every is. time. And that makes a movie good. I agree. If you can't well, wait to watch it every time you watch it, that makes it good. Well said, Kelsey. <laughs> well, here's what we had to say at the time about 1993's Hocus Pocus. Jump back. Twist the bones and bend the back. Here to decapitate American mystic. Back in 1693, the people of Salem, Massachusetts. Witches! Yes? Thought they got rid of the Sanderson sisters for good. Uh, we shall be back! <laughs> 300 years later, oh. it's Halloween Eve. And they're back. Uh-oh. We're home. Are you boys a little old to be trick-or-treating? <laughs> talking about three ancient hags versus the 20th century. How bad can it be? Now they're digging up old friends. <laughs> and running amok. Amok, 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 amok. Looking for the one thing they miss most. Who stay for supper. But we are. Only one boy has the power to stop them. Prepare to die again. You have no powers here, you fool. Before all Salem falls under their spell. Hello, you. Pictures presents Bette Midler. Uh, hello. Sarah Jessica Parker. Without dance with me. And Kathy Najimi. Hocus Pocus. Into the night! They love to fly. And it shows. Good night. Sleep tight. No screaming. <laughs> Should people watch Hocus Pocus? Yes. 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 I mean, come on. It is so good. It's just 90 minutes of family fun. <laughs> <laughs> and Bette Midler is just insane in this movie. She is so good. Yes. It's like she was made for this movie. Yeah, watch the dang movie. I mean, come on. This movie is so good. I could talk for hours about how much I love this movie. It is very, very good. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? Uh, better be a 95. <laughs> oh, God, Kelsey, I am so sorry. It has a 37. Are you kidding? Harmlessly hokey, yet never much more than mediocre. Hocus Pocus is a muddled, family-friendly effort that fails to live up to the talents of its impressive cast. At the time, Siskel... Ebert, the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, all pretty much dismissed it. Ebert gave it one star in his review in the Chicago Sun-Times. People would say like, oh, the song was fun, but otherwise it was, it was, uh, you know, the plot didn't know what it was doing. And it's like, here's the thing. They were evaluating it by the standards of every other movie that they watch. And you just can't do that with a movie like this. <laughs> I mean, you've seen me rate movies higher because I had fun with how stupid it was. They do not get that. And I think that's the problem. This might sound a little bit hypocritical of me. 
but I wouldn't call us professionals in any sense of the word. We just share our personal opinions with you. It's like we're having a Kelsey and I are having a conversation with each other about our personal opinions, and we're including you guys in that. So, but, but sometimes an expert in your ideas. Sometimes when they do it for a living, they're professionals. And they know way more about what they're talking about than we do. Anyway, sometimes professional reviewers don't have a real grip on what people might actually enjoy, regardless of the quality. You hear what I'm saying? I think there's quality here. If it makes you feel any better, it has a 71 audience score. Doesn't make me feel any fucking better. It had a B plus cinema score. Good. No Metacritic for some strange reason. But whatever. This is absolutely going to show up on our list of biggest discrepancies. Yes. Like, holy shit. I'm not even going to ask you think it's underrated by a whole hell of a lot. What would you give it? So you can buy it and give it a 95. Jesus Christ. That is I, way too high. I could watch this movie. We do watch it every single year. I could watch it once a week and I would not get sick of it. I could not. I love this movie. I I do too. I am in love with Max. I want to be Sarah Jessica Parker. I love Bette Midler's performance. Kathy and Jimmy cracks me up. Uh, Thora Birch reminds me of my childhood. Like it's. It has a special place in your heart. Love this movie. As it does mine. Uh, but I'm going to give it an 85. Which is still pretty damn high and way far away from the Rotten Tomatoes score of 30 fucking seven. That means that only 37% of professional critics liked it more than they disliked it. Like that is a not a high standard and yet it still couldn't meet that. Honestly, guys, the things that I was bringing up that could be problems and are problems when it comes to the yeah, plot. But that's not why we're watching the movie. So it shouldn't be what you evaluated on. Exactly. And I mean, it's a kid's movie. It's not it's the plot is never going to be foolproof. It's just not going to be right. So and it's not it's not like you can say that every movie that's fun and silly doesn't have to be good. Like, for instance, I'm going to bring this up and some of you people are going to be really upset, but I didn't grow up with it, which is why I think I have a unique perspective from you guys. Halloween Town <laughs> is a fun movie. I it is can a fun admit movie. that Halloween Town is a shitty movie, it's but a, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's a fun movie and I enjoy watching it. And <laughs> I'll be willing to watch it every single year. I don't love it nearly as much as I love Hocus Pocus. I don't think it's as good as Hocus Pocus is. It is nowhere near nearly. as good. But it's that's a, my point. It's a made-for-TV movie. But, but this is my point. It's not just because we're giving it a pass. It really is genuinely endearing. And more so than just it being endearing, there's stuff in it that we absolutely love. I mean, it's it makes me laugh every time I watch it. Yeah. The character work... I know I said this in the last episode, too. But the character work is great. And for completely different reasons. They, the three sisters, like I said, they just throw themselves into the parts. Yes, they're incredible. Coming in at, yep, still seventh place. From August 3rd, episode 147, 1963's The Haunting. It's very good. It is. For how awful 
the remake is, which I'm shocked didn't make it into the worst 10. Did on your list, but not It did. It was number our... 10 on my list. It didn't make it on yours, though. It is so terrible. It is really bad. But this one has an 87 Rotten Tomatoes and 90s from both of us. Excellent. The, it is eerie and it is tense. Mm-hmm. In ways that movies that are made today have no idea how to do. And if you're a horror movie fan, it's one of those sort of must-see movies. If you're if you're looking at, like, old-school horror. Yes. Absolutely need to see it. Here's what we had to say at the time about 1963's The Haunting. Tonight the dead will walk. And you, unbeliever, will scream unheard. Stop it! The haunting. haunting. What do we really know of that other world of hauntings, of apparitions in the night, of the sinister powers of darkness? The Haunting was produced and directed by Robert Wise, the brilliant producer of West Side Story, and stars Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, Russ Tamblin. cannot deny terror. You cannot look the other way. You have to face the supernatural, face the chilling mysteries of forces you cannot understand or control when the haunting holds you in its spell. The haunting. haunting. Should people watch The Haunting? I would say so. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. If you're into a black and white movie. It is a little long, but it's very good. Yeah. And you will not see... Warning, you will not see any ghosts. Is that true? Yep. There are no ghosts? No ghosts. Really? Yeah, think of a ghost. Trying to. All of their interactions are just loud noises and banging on doors and shit. Well, I mean, the doors swell and the house moves. You do not see a single ghost. Well, there's wind. There are no ghosts. Okay, the remake, in quotes... We'll get to why it's in quotes later. Goes hard on the ghost factor, like real hard on the ghost factor. This, you see ghosts potentially doing things. You hear noises. The house will move, but you never see a single spirit. It's not about the haunting itself. It's about how these people respond to the haunting. Mm, Which is why they did what they did with the remake. Yes, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, watch it. I'd I'd highly recommend it. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. What do you know? It's 87. It is an 87. Both psychological and supernatural, the haunting is a chilling character study. I I mean, I think that goes to exactly what you said about how it's about the people and how they respond. It's not so much about the haunting itself. Mm -hmm. A Metacritic of 74. Cinema score was not working, so I have no idea what the cinema score was. (laughs) Do you think that's overrated or underrated? Maybe just slightly underrated. What would you have given it? I'm going to give it a 90. I was hemming and hawing over that. Do I creep up into the 90s or is it just a really high 80s? I think it's very good, especially considering the time, 1963, and the fact that it was willing to 
to include some things in there that, you know, I mean. It's a little non-traditional. Yeah. You know, with all the sort of schlock horror that you would tend to get back then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean. They could have erased Theo's character. You would have expected them to. Completely, yeah. They could have completely made her a straight character, and they didn't, which is interesting mm-hmm. as well. Robert Weiss said that he thought the movie was subtle. Right. He thought that they had a like a delicate touch with some of these topics. Mm-hmm. And so he very much intended to keep all that stuff in, but he wanted to be subtle about it. I will give it. I'm genuinely surprised that this movie isn't talked about more. That when you search for the haunting, first of all, the SEO on this is terrible. <laughs> but when you search for the haunting and you actually find the haunting, more often than not, you get the 1999 version, mm-hmm. which we're going to watch next. Which is a shame. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe that this isn't held in higher regard. Granted, an 87 Rotten Tomatoes is really good. It's very good. But why isn't why don't people talk about it outside of the horror discussions, right? Like people talk about Psycho whether you like horror or not. Why isn't this one talked about? I don't think it's as good as Psycho, but like it's good. I don't know. It's a good question. I think I'll give it a 90 as well. I will I will join you in our 90 praise for The Haunting 1963. Also tied for 7th place with 90 average score from the two of us from May 18th episode 136 2010's Black Swan. Another wonderful movie. That you gave an 88 and I gave a 92. Very very good. What did Eileen give it? Eileen gave it a 90. I'm shocked I gave it an 88. I wonder why. Probably because you like Perfect Blue more? Probably. That was a good episode. Both of those movies are... So good. Very good. And it's very rare that we get an episode where both movies are superb. Yes. So you gotta gotta appreciate it when you got it. It was a good episode. Here's what we had to say at the time about 2010's Black Swan. I had the craziest dream last night. About a girl who was turned into a swan. But her prince falls for the wrong girl and she kills herself. He promised to feature me more this season. Well, he should. You've been there long enough. And you're the most dedicated dancer in the company. Our new swan queen, the exquisite Nina Sayers. I'm Lily. You're gonna be amazing. I watch the way she moves. Sensual. She's not faking it. Seduces. Attack it. Attack it. Come on. Where'd you get these? It's nothing. You sweet girl. Feel my touch. Respond to it. Because someone's hot for teacher. I don't want to talk about that. You really need to relax. It's the role, isn't it? It's all this pressure. I knew it'd be too much. I knew it. What's she doing here? He made me your alternate. The only person standing in your way is you. How do you know where I live? I have my ways. She's after me. Nobody's after you. Please believe me. What happened to my sweet girl? She's gone! Director Darren Aronofsky soars to new heights with Black Swan. It's a masterpiece. Black Swan rated R. In select theaters December 10th. Should people watch Black Swan? Yes, totally. (laughs) Even though we've been talking a lot about how, you know, Perfect Blue and Black Swan is really similar, it's very much still its own movie. 
And, um, you know, there's some really amazing performances in it from Natalie Portman. Oh, she's incredible. She won Best Actress, uh, Academy Awards, Golden Globes. Like, she swept the category. Like, I think everywhere she was nominated, she won. Mm. Yeah, Mila Kunis is really good in it as well. And, like, the imagery is different from Perfect Blue, but I also think it's a very well-constructed, like, cinematic movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, absolutely see Black Swan. Yeah, 100%. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's an intense movie. There's a lot of intense stuff going Perfect on. Blue. Yes, Perfect Blue is not very scary, but it's thrilling. Mm-hmm. It puts you on the edge of your seat. There's murder and, and <laughs> gore and yeah. But uh, yeah, no, this is, this even goes some metaphysical places that Perfect Blue does not. So what do, what do you think? think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, like a 90? I guess 87? 85. Oh, okay. Not as high as I thought. Bracingly intense, passionate, and wildly melodramatic, Black Swan glides on Darren Aronofsky's bold direction and a bravura performance from Natalie Portman, and a very high Metacritic of 79, which is the average rating that critics have given it. No cinema score. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? I think it's just very slightly underrated. I was going to give this an 88. I think this is a really good movie. I think it's not a perfect blue. I already can't wait to see again. Black Swan, it'll be a while before I see it again. There's a lot in there that is very hard to watch. So it's not as fun, you know? It's not as thrilling for me. Well, yeah, I think it's not as much of a game. It's got that Aronofsky depression (laughs) element. (laughs) 100%. And Aronofsky, I think, is an incredible director Made Like I said, I think Requiem for a Dream is one of the all-time best films ever made. That doesn't mean I'm, like, watching it every day. It's really hard to watch. It's really depressing. And if you don't have that watchability for me, you do lose some points. So that's why I'm going to give it an 88. Mm. You want to talk about the difference between seeing it this time and seeing it the first time? I really liked it the first time I saw it. Yeah. And then I saw it after that, and I didn't like it so much after. And I think that's because I was picking up a lot of the style stuff that he was doing, and I was kind of like, Aronofsky, how about how about you don't think that highly of yourself? How about that? How about you take <laughs> you a step You and all down? your scarves. <laughs> I mean, we talked about that with Mother. He's a little, I mean, he, he's pretentious. He's a little <laughs> pretentious. He's great, and I think he deserves to be pretentious. Kind of like, who's that other director that I always say is pretentious but has every right to be? Oh, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. I love Wes Anderson. Uh, Yes. Yes. Okay? Wes Anderson is also very pretentious, but he has every right to be. And I think Aronofsky is kind of like that, but Aronofsky kind of takes it in a more depressing tone. And I'm Mm. like, I love you, Darren. I think this is awesome, but it's hard for me to watch it again. And when I saw it this middle time, I was focused on that style. I was like, stop being so pretentious, dick. And then I saw it again now, and I'm like, no, it's really good. Yeah. Okay. So it reaffirmed your belief that it's a good movie. Yes. Eileen, what do you think? After listening to you, I would give it, you know, a solid 90%. So I I actually think this is a slightly better movie than Perfect Blue in terms of, like, consistent style and character development and the focus on the individual characters, which is what I kind of knocked Perfect Blue down a little bit for. Um, And kind of going along with how this is, like, just the right level of pretentious. 
where it feels like it's serving the story and the characters and not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And when you look at it intertwined, you Mm -hmm. see it that way. But I think when I saw it, like, the second time I was just looking at that aspect of it, Mm -hmm. and I was like, fuck you, Aronofsky. I think there's a little... better than everybody else. I think there's a little bit of Aronofsky in Tomala Roy. (laughs) And I think he knows that. (laughs) Anyway, I would give it... I'm really tempted just to give it a 92, like I gave Perfect Blue. Every time I think that Black Swan is a better movie, like you pointed out, Mm. Arlene, I'm like, yeah, no, it it really is. Maybe I'll give this a 95. I think about something I like about Perfect Blue better. Mm -hmm. And especially how how much – it doesn't lean on it like a crutch, but there is a lot about – Black Swan that comes from Perfect Blue. Mm, yeah, yeah. And we Aronofsky didn't talk that much about we the didn't, combination. I mean a- the Aronofsky would the tell you that this is not a remake of Perfect Blue. And it's not. He didn't really think about it that much when making it, but there's a lot of influence here that might be subconscious. Oh yeah. Most and definitely. so at I think I'm gonna have to give it a 92. Because of that back and forth. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would seat these movies in exactly the same place. They're very good. Watchability. Watchability, man. I don't know. There's a watchability to Black Swan. There's a beauty in it that's different. It's beautiful. It's It's a beautiful movie. I like movies about ballet. Uh I know you hate Suspiria. I could just watch the the dance scenes for forever. Uh I could watch these dance scenes for forever. But, like, the whole movie as an overall thing... I I need some time before Mm. I watched it. That's how I feel about Perfect Blue. Where I'm just like, I don't know how many times I could rewatch that movie. Yeah, there's some realism to Perfect Blue that makes the the insanity of it a little bit jarring and, I guess, disturbing. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more than this, which is more fanciful. Well, I think it also has to do with the fact that Perfect Blue has characters you love to hate. Mm. And you don't feel that way about Black Swan. There's, I think there's almost a more realistic, relatable cast there's more in Perfect Blue. There's more tragedy to Black Swan. Like, yeah. this mother is an mm-hmm. awful human being, mm-hmm. but she still does love her daughter. And that Mm-mm. is hard to handle, as opposed to, ah, Creeper, I, I love to hate you, and I love to, like, watch how creepy you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, but I, but I think that's, there are more complex characters in Black Swan, because Perfect Blue has... Oh, here's an here's an obsessive fan, murderous villain character. He's insane. But and, those people and exist. And hold on, hold on. That's not. I'm not saying they don't exist. <laughs> and then there's the manager who's secretly insane and wants to kill her, right? And it's all dramatic and it's all super high stakes that you'd only see in a movie. But in Black Swan, even though it is more fanciful, she turns literally into a bird at multiple <laughs> times in this movie. But the villains are in. An overprotective, repressive mother and a director that doesn't care about her emotional well-being in order to get a better performance out of her. Those are the villains in this movie. And so it's not as theatrical, despite the fact that the visually it is. It's – I think they're, they trade punches a lot. Mm. And that's why I think I put them right at the, right at the same level. I think – for Black Swan, I don't even consider them villains or antagonists. It's really like herself is the one who is standing in her way, whereas, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. everyone is kind of pushing her as opposed to Perfect Blue, where there are genuinely bad antagonists yes. out to get her. And 
it's fueling her insanity, but Nina is her is antagonist for herself. Right. That makes it, I think, more interesting from the thriller standpoint. But from the psychological standpoint, I think it makes it a little less interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's, there isn't subtle villainy. There isn't her being her own villain. But I do want to point something out. Because she is her own villain in Perfect Blue. Mm-hmm. To an extent, yeah. There are times when there's no one else there. It's just her. She's talking to herself, mm-hmm. putting herself down. And my question is... Even if Rumi wasn't crazy and she didn't have some stalker, what would she have done to herself? How far would she have torn herself down if she didn't have that actual physical confrontation with mm-hmm. Rumi? Yeah, but I don't think we need to ask that question with, with, with Black Swan because we see it. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that because she had these outside conflicts that she had to deal with, that would, meant that she was able to deal with her inner turmoil mm-hmm. um, a lot easier. Because it was like, oh, I can actually take out this confrontation right. on you. But you think that's more interesting? No, I'm asking if she hadn't had Rumi or the, the stalker, would she have eventually torn herself down and would she have had a breakdown? Like Nina does in Black Swan. I think we can imagine it. I don't think we could say for certain one way or the other. Yeah. I feel like a lot of her paranoia building throughout the the movie is also like knowing that Mima's room exists. And right. It's fed by the behaviors of these villains. Yeah. Although in general, that's just kind of like a stand in for like the media culture that they live in. It is. Because she, she, we didn't really talk about this, but she goes through interviews where she justifies her decisions when she doesn't really like feel as she reveals that she should have done that rape mm-hmm. scene, but like in the interview, she's like, Oh no, this is like what I wanted to do. And obviously it's kind of a lie or she's making herself believe that to appease like, you know, her fans and like the public and everything. Yeah. And I think perfect blue wins points and realism in that regard. Mm. You know, I think that's entirely believable and I think that's relatable. I think a lot of people can relate to that. But again, this is also the movie with the straight up murderous villains. So, like, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. You got your peanut butter and my chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Still going strong with our tied for seventh place movies. Our fifth one in the list from March 23rd, episode 128, 1968's Night of the Living Dead. Well, obviously. Classic. Yeah. Of course. It's an outstanding movie. It started the zombie jo- subgenre. It's remarkable to me that we loved it so much and still we were seven points under the Rotten Tomatoes score of 97%. Well, that makes sense. People are just in love with this movie. But it's easier because, like we say... Everybody thinks it's good. It's at least good. No, we just say good. it's bad. Exactly. So, well, 3% of reviewers said they didn't like it. Well, those people are dumb. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So, it's not a perfect scale. And we've talked about that. Yeah. But it's remarkable just how good this movie is at is. doing something that hadn't really been done this way before. Yeah. And it stood the test of time because everything that came after it was after it. Everything was influenced by this movie. It's also remarkable, to use that word again, just how many movies are influenced by this one movie. Mm -hmm. It is like an Ur movie in that way. And just think about it. And And its sequels, obviously, like Dawn of the Dead and so on. Like... 
it is responsible. It is the the point, the sharp edge of a wide swath, a very large slice of the horror movie pie. Very good. Still only comes in at seventh place, though, because we gave it a 90. Both of us did. Here's what we had to say at the time about 1968's Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to a night of total terror. Night of the Living Dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly Dead. More shattering than your strangest nightmare. What was the original title of this film before it was called Night of the Living Dead? Zombie? No, actually. They never refer to them as zombies. As a matter of fact, George Romero didn't even consider this a zombie film. In his mind, he said in the past that... Zombies to him were the ones that were down in the Caribbean. You know, you hear folklore about those people that are poisoned to have their hearts slow down so much that they are thought to be dead. Then they're buried. And then you have these people come and dig them, their bodies back up and revive them. And then they're basically mindless slaves like the God of Lobotomy. And they just do work on fields for you. Uh, that was the original sort of version of zombies that people knew. It was this movie that completely changed people's perspective on what zombies were. Zombies were not flesh eaters before this movie, but that's the key. The movie was called Night of the Flesh Eaters. Ah. They just thought, hey, if the undead came back, what's the most fucked up thing they could possibly do? And that was cannibalism. And so they're like, okay, great cannibalism that's what our undead will do and then just people started calling them zombies and that's what it is now should people watch it oh absolutely it's a part of cinematic and horror history yes like you kind of have to watch it yes i mean if you haven't seen this movie see it now it's it's horror history yeah, very much so. And there's a lot of stuff where you can see they're doing it for the first time and you can see where all this great stuff came from. It's really, really good. It's uh, well shot. There are some incredible angles. Yes. Uh, they had they had cameras uh, and lenses that gave them great depth of field so they could do really artsy shots under things and from weird angles and you could still see everything you needed to see. But the editing is really bad. They took out an entire expository scene in the basement, which is why there's a jump cut. They break the 180 rule. Those elements really hurt it as being just sort of an all around Indian unprofessional and not very film educated production. I still like it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. But they're, it's not perfect by any means. It's not like they just went out and made the perfect movie. Right. It's it's rough around the edges. But I still enjoy it. Yes. And I highly recommend it. 
So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 97. Holy shit. That's exactly right. 97. George A. Romero's debut set the template for the zombie film and features tight editing. What? Realistic gore and a sly political undercurrent. Nope. Wait. 89 Metacritic. The editing is not great. And I said earlier, the fight scenes suck. Realistic gore, eh, I think because it was in black and white. (laughs) A sly political undercurrent. It's not racial. There's some reviewers that are like, oh, this is bringing the fight home for people. It takes place in the farmlands in like Pennsylvania. So like this isn't this isn't a fight that's happening on somebody else's turf like the Vietnam or Korean Wars. This is happening at home. It exposes Americans to that. So there's that element of it. But it's also just how shitty things are. Romero had this to say about it. It was 1968, man. Everyone had a message. The anger and attitude and all that's there is just because it was the 60s. We lived at the farmhouse, so we were always into raps about the implication and the meaning. So some of that crept in. So it wasn't like intended to be that way, but because they were kind of hippie filmmakers in the 60s, it's supposed to represent man's inhumanity to man or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think 97 Rotten Tomatoes and 89 Metacritic is overrated or underrated? Maybe 97 is just a little high. What would you give it? I was going to give it a 90. I was thinking about 90. I think I'm going to give it a 90 as well. Yeah, I think that's good. Like I said, it's by no means perfect. But it is crazy influential and an easy watch, except for Kelsey at the end. She really can't handle that ending. She absolutely hates it. (laughs) She was like, she wanted to turn it off. She was like looking away. It was, that's the kind of shit that gets to Kelsey. That and bugs. Yeah. (laughs) And Chucky, I guess. I can't stand, like, because you've watched this guy's entire movie be not totally awesome, Uh but you like him a lot. And then... Well, you can see why people thought this was about race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, fantastic movie, Night of the Living Dead. Really recommend it. It's one of those must-see horror movies if you're any kind of horror fan. Yes. And wrapping up our seventh place movies. The sixth film that's tied for seventh place in 2020. From January 20th, episode 120, 1973's the Exorcist. We watched The Exorcist and The Exorcist 2 in the same year? We watched The Exorcist? No, I know. The Exorcist 2, Exorcist the Beginning. That's it. Is that it? Did we watch the other one? No, that's we the next one the we other going two. to watch. Okay, no. yeah. But we watched them in the same year? Yeah, well, this is January 20th. Huh. I thought we watched The Exorcist two years ago. Almost exactly one year. Well, all right then. Don't know what to tell you. Exorcist 2 was on our bottom 10. Exorcist 1 is in our top 10. Exactly, yeah. Fun. 84 on Rotten Tomatoes, 90s from both of us. Got to get this one up there higher. If Night of the Living Dead is 97... I will say that The Exorcist is better executed than Night of the Living Dead. Yes. That's but it's maybe not as influential as Night of the Living Dead is. And I think those two things kind of balance each other. I can't out. believe you th- would say that. Exorcist was up for a fucking Academy Award. 
Right. But there's a difference between quality and influence. I guess. I'm saying its quality is higher, but its influence is lower. And there are a lot of exorcism movies. But really, when did those movies start coming out? 2000s. Right. So 30 years after this movie came out? It was almost like you couldn't touch it unless you were making a sequel to it. Which were all terrible. Yes. Well, <laughs> well so we far. We haven't watched the other two. Apparently there's a good one. We'll yeah. see. It's nuts. The Exorcist story is nuts. I cannot wait until we do that one. <laughs> because it's like, oh, this is the movie that a dude made. And then they said no. <laughs> and they hired somebody else to do reshoots and completely change the movie. Into something we didn't like. Into something we did not like. And then when they realized how much the beginning bombed, they're like, I'll hire that guy back. Have him complete the movie that he filmed and we'll release that one as sort of like a mea culpa or something. <laughs> like, incredible. And I'm really excited for when we get to watch that. But of course, The Exorcist is in our top 10. Absolutely it is. At 90. Here's what we had to say at the time about 1973's The Exorcist. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. Now I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope. The only hope. The exorcist. Should people watch The Exorcist, Kelsey? Of course. Yes. Uh, this is another one of those. Yeah. Like, if you haven't seen The Exorcist, you need to see it now. I've said multiple times on the show, so I figure I'd better talk about it in the episode where we actually talk about this. I did watch the version you've never seen. That was the first way I saw it back in 2000 when I was a teenager. I saw it with a bunch of my buddies, and I fell asleep. It was late at night. So there is that. But I was thoroughly bored. Meanwhile, my buddy Bob, who's been on this show in the past, was absolutely terrified because he was raised Catholic and like all this stuff had some significant meaning to him. And I didn't experience any of that. I was just like we said, the good stuff doesn't happen until I, I put heavy quotes around good. Uh, it doesn't happen until two thirds of the movie into the movie. So I can see now why it didn't live up to the hype when I was a teenager, because everyone's like, it's the scariest movie ever. That's nah, really not. I don't think this movie is that scary. I think it's really interesting. though. I think it's creepy, but I don't think it's scary. Right. So I think that's why I was like, oh, this isn't that scary. Again, it's I, like an hour and a half of nothing happening. <laughs> I agree with you. The same thing happened for me. Everyone told me how scary it was. And then I think I finally saw it when I was like 16 or something. Yeah. As a 16 year old, I was just like. Fucking really? <laughs> yeah, so if you are watching this for the first time, just know. <laughs> but that does not. This is a patient film. <laughs> but that does not mean it's not a good movie. No, it's, it's fantastic. It's very, very good. you should absolutely good. see it. It's just, it's not, just scary. not scary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. What is it? 88. Uh, it's 84, actually. Oh. 84 on Rotten Tomatoes. 
The Exorcist rides its supernatural-themed magical effect with remarkable special effects in an eerie atmosphere, resulting in one of the scariest films of all time. See, they say that. I just do not think that's It's a great movie. It is. And it is a horror movie, but that does not mean it's scary. No, it's absolutely not. Uh, Metacritic of 81. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? I'd say it's underrated. Absolutely. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 90. That is exactly what I was going to give it. I think it's a fantastic movie. I think the score, I think the acting, I think the special effects, the cinematography, I think it's great. Yeah. It's real only, it's got like two problems, okay? Okay. One is that it's not scary, which was going to be difficult to make this scary, I think. But it is creepy. Don't get me wrong. Her voice is creepy. Yeah. Her acting is creepy. Yep. But- the second problem is that the part that everyone remembers is not the bulk of the film. Yeah, it's just the end. Like I said, no one nine remembers minutes. nine all, minutes. No one remembers all of the the shit of her being in a hospital. The movie is over two hours long, and the exorcism is nine minutes. Nobody remembers that. No, and it's not that it's not compelling. It's just not scary. Exactly. That's it. Pauline Kale tore this movie apart. She hated it. She says it's designed to scare people, and it does so by mechanical means. Levitation, swiveling heads, vomit being spewed in people's faces. A viewer can become glumly anesthetized by the brackish color and the senseless ugliness of the conception Neither the producer-writer, William Peter Blatty, nor the director, William Friedkin, shows any feeling for the little girl's helplessness and suffering, or for her mother's. Rolling Stone said that it was nothing more than a religious porn film, the gaudiest piece of schlock this side of Cecil B. DeMille, minus that gentleman's wit and ability to tell a story. The New York Times said it was a chunk of elegant occultist claptrap. A practically impossible film to sit through. It establishes a new low for grotesque special effects. Siskel and Ebert each gave it respectively four stars. Nice. Which is their highest rating. Uh, I saw somebody was saying that that's weird because Siskel. Hates a lot of movies. He does. <laughs> and he especially hates it when, when directors try to scare the audience by putting little kids in danger. And but for some reason he really liked he thought this one was an effective one because it's like it cared about her, which is the exact opposite of what Pauline Kale said. So really split in history, you know. Kelsey, here it is, the critical difference. It's the differences between our average score and the rotten tomato score at the time. Okay. Okay. And like I said before, oh, there are three. There are three movies on this list Okay, where the Rotten Tomatoes score is higher than ours. Starting with these two right here. The next two are number 10, 2018's All the Creatures Were Stirring. What was the difference? Rotten Tomatoes of 73. Yeah. Our average was 37 and a half. Wow. Giving us a difference of 35 and a half points. I can't believe that Rotten Tomatoes gave it 73. You gave it a 40. I gave it a 35. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It just wasn't. 
good. No, I'm just surprised that they gave it as high of a score as they yeah. did. Well, you know how they get... I'm sorry, but a lot of reviewers have huge, raging, throbbing hard-ons for indie horror. If you're True. an indie horror movie, you automatically get points. And again, I'm sorry, it's not a free pass to be a bad movie. Agreed. Speaking of, number nine is 2008's Red Velvet. Uh. Which had a 49 Rotten Tomatoes. It had a worse than 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it still shows up on this list because you and I both gave it a 10. Yeah, that is inexcusable that it got such a high score. It is. <laughs> I agree. Number eight, 2005's House of Wax. This is where we start getting into movies that we liked better. Yeah, fuck you, reviewers. That movie's not bad. We gave it a 68 yeah. combined score, which isn't like, we're not saying it's stellar or anything. It's good. <laughs> It's, it's entertaining. It's okay to good. Yeah. And 26 for a difference of 42 points. It's another movie with Sam Winchester. It is. <laughs> it is. Number seven, 1992's Children of the Corn 2. Oh, the reviewers are wrong. It was a bad movie, movie but- is gloriously It was bad. incredibly entertaining. It was insane. I so rarely get on the it's so bad, it's good train, and this is one of the stellar ones. I could not believe <laughs> how nuts this movie was. <laughs> if you watch it, make sure you watch, I think it's like the Canadian release or something like that, because the American release of Children of the Corn 2 leaves out, like, the best segment in the entire movie. I'm so glad that ours had it. I am so, too. Like, if we didn't see that, we never would have known. Yeah. And I remember I was we were laying down in bed watching this movie, and I sat up <laughs> when that moment happened. I was like, oh, my God. 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. You gave it a 69. Nice. I gave it a 70 for an average score of 69 and a half. Gloriously terrible. Next up, Rock and Roll Nightmare from 1987 at number six. Again, reviewers are wrong. This is another movie that's just so fucking entertaining and how terrible it is. 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, 60s from both of us. They're wrong. This movie is amazing. Do you remember when he drops his pencil? Yes! Do you remember when the thing vomits into his Coke? Do you remember when his girlfriend turns into a demon and he's like, ha I knew all along. Yes. It's like, then why were we watching this movie? Why did this movie even happen? I love that the entire film was meant to be like a, a trap for the devil. Uh-huh. So good. Oh, my God. Rock and roll nightmare. If you want to see a bad movie, if you want to get as soon as we can hang out together again, if you want to get drunk with friends and watch a bad movie, rock and roll nightmare. Cannot recommend enough. Or Children of the Corn, too. Yes, but probably rock and roll nightmare more. <laughs> it's a movie you can totally talk over. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, because Children of the Corn, you got to be paying attention for you all do. the plot details. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, number five, we're going so these li- these little break like take a break from the main list lists. Generally, you're supposed to go fast, but these are so good we have to talk about them. Uh, number five, Hocus Pocus. We already talked about that. It has a 37 on Rotten Tomatoes, though. Wrong. Again, you gave it a 90 fucking five. <laughs> I gave it an 85. That's a 90 average for a difference of 53 points. Fuck the reviewers. I agree. Fuck them. Number four. Friday the 13th part three, which we thought was okay to good. It was fine. You gave it a 70. Did I? I gave it a 69. Nice. Oh, I gave it a 70 because it's where he gets his fucking mask. Yeah, it's important. It's important. There's still good kills, even three movies in. I'm just excited for four. Because of Tommy Jarvis. I can't wait for four. (laughs) But the, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes at the time... That we reviewed it was 11. That's I think, incredible. I think when it came out, people were just like, meh, more of the same. And it was more of the same. It was. But it was still, it still kept the quality up. And nobody the Friday knew the at the time quality. how important it was going to be. Yeah, totally. Uh, number three, Idle Hands. Fuck you, reviewers. 15 on Rotten Tomatoes. The reviewers are wrong. They're absolutely wrong. This movie is silly. It's stupid. But it's so funny. But it's fun. You gave it a 79. I gave it a 73 for an average of 76. A clue. A clue. (laughs) The killer was wearing a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) It's very good. A similar situation with our number two movie. My Boyfriend's Back from 1993 has a 14... On Rotten Tomatoes, you gave it a 75, I gave it a 78. The movie's hilarious. This is almost a great movie. It's so funny. People Surprisingly just don't get so. It sometimes. I, 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 maybe it is People, that they just didn't just, get it. I think we have just a weird sense of humor and we nobody do. understands our sense of humor. It's probably it, except for certain filmmakers. <laughs> Hopefully, you guys who are listening understand our sense of humor. <laughs> we'll see. But number one, we're back to movies that we disliked more. If you listened to our last episode on the worst of 2020, you probably already have a pretty good educated guess as to what this is. Oh, is it Midnighters? It's Midnighters. An 81 on Rotten Tomatoes. Do not understand. What the fuck? Do not comprehend. Remember what I was saying, a hard-on about indie movies? Yeah. Oh, it has an edge to it. Hey, it's the guy (sighs) from Annabelle. (laughs) Also a terrible movie. Again, it's like the only good thing I got out of this movie was... The dude from Annabelle. The dude from Annabelle who should be in more stuff and stop being in bad movies. movies. He's charming as hell in a fun way. Let him have a fun role in a good movie. That's, That's the only thing I ask of you. Wait a minute. Didn't we watch Annabelle this year? Or is that just lower on the list? Either or. We did watch Annabelle this year. It had a 35 average, but the Rotten Tomatoes was 29. So, didn't show up on this list, didn't show up on the list from last week, because it wasn't quite bad enough. What did we give it? You gave it a 30, I gave it a 40, it was a 35. Oh, I'm mad I gave it as high of a score as I did. Well, I think there main, were some elements that were okay. fear factor is a fucking... A doll that... No, it's main fear factor 
is a sewing machine. Now that's not Maine. It was just another to do movie. With anything. It was like two weeks in a row where we had haunted sewing machines or something like that. It was ridiculous last year. Sewing machines. Oh, the show, sewing machine's moving on its own. Are you scared? No. No. <laughs> God, fucking movies. Sometimes, man. We're not talking about bad movies, although we are because we're talking about Midnighters. Eighty-one <laughs> percent is outrageous, baffling, baffling. All right, getting us back into our list at number six. We got through our six movies tied for number seven. Number six from February 17th, episode 124, 1977's Suspiria. Yeah, such a good movie. 93 Rotten Tomatoes. Got a 91 from both of us, actually. Such a good movie. Very, very good. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's okay. It's more of a feast for the eyes. It's magic, man. It's magic, man. Oh, it's so wonderfully put together. So interesting. So different. Agreed. And here's what we had to say at the time about 1977's Suspiria. You can run from Suspiria. Me! You can hide from Suspiria. Who's there? Who's there? But you cannot escape Suspiria. Once you've seen Suspiria, you will never again feel safe in the dark. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Should people watch Suspiria? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Of course. It's very good. Yeah. Again, it's not, don't watch it for the plot. It's not some fantastic plot or some fantastic mystery. It's, it's much more an experience. Of a, yeah, it's much more of a visual experience. They both are for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, so if you have any interest in seeing these, I would recommend watching it before we talk about it because... Yes. Like Chris says, there's not a lot going on with the plot. But once you know the plot, you're just going to be like, okay, I get it. But you're not going to w- see... All the stunning visuals, which is what this whole movie is about. Yes, it is. It is designed to be sort of dreamlike or nightmarish in quality visually throughout the whole thing. And they contrast it very rarely, but it does happen, especially in the beginning of the movie with reality. What do you think 1977's Suspiria has on Rotten Tomatoes? 88? 93. Okay. The blood pours freely in Argento's classic Suspiria, a giallo horror as grandiose and glossy as it is gory. Metacritic of 79. No cinema score. Do you think this movie is overrated or underrated? It's pretty much exactly what I was going to give it. I was going to give it a 91. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking low 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's absolutely not a perfect movie. But no, it's, it's got a lot of problems. It's got yeah. a lot of like, what? But it's just, it's so. <laughs> Why is there a bat right now? <laughs> it's so entertaining and evocative. Yes. And it's not a lot of, okay, this is a big difference from the remake. There's not a lot to explore in what does it all mean? Because that's not what this movie is about. It's not about the plot at all whatsoever. It's about the experience. And yes. he wants to take you through a dream. Yes. A nightmare. And he does, and he does effectively. Yes. So I would agree. I think 91 is a good score for this movie. Yeah. It is. It feels very much like a, a waking nightmare, Would what it would be like. And I think he was successful in that. And 
But yeah, there's just there's a lot of stuff where you're just like, why? Why did the blind <laughs> man have to get attacked? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's just so sad. We needed another death at this point in the movie, I guess. Yeah. Coming in at number five. From September 28th, episode 155, 1961's The Innocents. Hell yeah. That's good, Innocents. Good movie. ENTS. Uh, 94 on Rotten Tomatoes, 93 from you, 90 from me for an average of 91 and a half. This is a great movie. This is a fantastic film. Love it. Love that you don't know. Love that they give you both sides of the argument and you just can't fucking figure it out. I which love is, it. Which is also weird because Kelsey normally hates that shit, but this pulled it off in her mind. It's so well done. Yeah. Do I wish I knew? Yes. <laughs> Am I okay with not knowing because of how well they did, how well they walked the line? Yes. Kids are actually creepy. The kids are so creepy. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they got those two kids to be so normal and yet so creepy at the same time. In, I, if I remember correctly, it's one of those movies where the directors didn't tell the kids what was going on in the entire movie, what the subtext was or anything like that. Just gave them direction, gave them just the lines Well, they yeah, needed. they didn't tell them any of the sexual shit. Right, but anything else, like, I don't even... I can't remember. I may be wrong, but it's one of those movies where they didn't tell the kid that it was a horror movie. Hmm. Like, you know, there are movies where they're just like, oh, this is a family drama or something like that. Or this is a comedy. Isn't this funny and silly? And then you can get behavior you want out of the kid without having to terrify them. So, yeah. The Innocence. This is what we had to say at the time about that movie from 1961. <laughs> There has never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess the living? 20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement, and Peyton Place, now gives you... The Innocents. Based on the Henry James Chiller of Macabre Evil. Brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. The Innocents. Produced and directed by Jack Clayton. The man who directed Room at the Top. Turned into fearful reality by the magnificent performance of Miss Deborah Carr. I saw him staring. Who, Miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, Miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he? Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome, and I've Perhaps the most controversial concept in human relationships ever presented on the screen. With one of the world's great stars... From the man who directed Room at the Top, a new and adult motion picture experience. Do they, they, they ever return to possess the living? Should people watch The Innocents? I think so. Absolutely. I think it's good. I mean, it's revered, and I had never seen it before, but uh, I thought it was it was very good. It was maybe a little too slow for my tastes, and that's saying something. Because I was going to say it's a little long. Yes. But I guess slow and long kind of go hand in hand. Right. You wouldn't think it was long if it went a little bit faster pace. But you know me, I'm very into patience, especially when that's coupled with fantastic cinematography, which this movie has. 
it was filmed in CinemaScope and the director really didn't want to film it in CinemaScope. But the cinematographer, Freddie Francis, had just won an Oscar uh, previously for his movie he did before this. I can't remember the name of it, but that was also filmed in CinemaScope. And he's like, I think I can work with that. Well, what I can say about the direction is he got excellent performances out How of children. How kids? Yeah. I know. Which is better than, I mean, okay, the kids in the new one are not like terrible because obviously Finn Wolfhard is a good actor, but I don't know that his range is that profound. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying about directors. Uh-huh. You know, some directors are good with kids and some are not. And these kids were great. The, yeah, the boy is just outstanding. Oh, like, so they talk about how this movie was filmed uh, where they they only gave the scripts to the children like day of or day before or something like that and only piecemeal. Uh, they didn't give them the entire script because they didn't want the kids to be exposed to all the other stuff. Like when the adults are talking, mm-hmm. uh, all those conversations, because all the scenes with the actual kids, they never explicitly say what the adults say to each other. Mm-hmm. And so the kids would have no idea kind of what's going on. And a lot of horror movies are filmed this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they did the same thing and and still got these great performances out of them. And that that boy, Martin Stevens, who played Miles – is like legitimately creepy. Yes. And in an extremely subtle way. Yeah. In the new film, they really heavily rely on visuals. Yeah, and him being stuff. kind of emo. Right. <laughs> if you want to talk about Miles. Right. This kid, there is nothing off putting about his appearance. He is a perfectly, in fact, almost too perfectly uh, yeah. good-looking, sweet, innocent boy. Yeah. And he pulls off this this bubbling evil, but also this complete this complete ignorance of it all. Yeah. At the same time. It's beautifully done, and I don't know how they did it. <laughs> and there's a particular moment that's very famous in this movie and in the story that is also done in The Turning, and you can use that, I think, as a very specific, you know, sharp focus of the differences between these two movies. And it's a very simple moment, and, like, literally what happens on screen is the same thing, but it's it's much more impactful and yet still subtle in this version than it is in the new one. But I'm talking about The Kiss. So, yes, you should watch this one, and it's free on YouTube, so go ahead and do it. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 93. So close. It is a beloved film. 94%. Creepily atmospheric, The Innocence is a stylishly crafted, chilling British ghost tale with Deborah Kerr at her finest. Metacritic of 78. No cinema score, of course. 78? Yeah, but that's averages. And the farther away you get from the center, the the harder it is to get progress. Do you think it's overrated or underrated? I think it's pretty close to being right on target. What would you give it? This is really hard. Because I really, really like it. I would totally watch it again. I would recommend people watch it. It just lags a little bit sometimes. Yeah, that's exactly what I would have said. It's it just as much of a proponent of patience as I am in direction and cinematography. 
I I feel like I have to lay this on the feet of the director and even the writers. I think the cinematographer did a fantastic job, but in its faults in this way where it just feels like, okay, there were parts where, and I bet you is just because I was completely exhausted. I was like starting to fall asleep and that's never a good sign, but it was very good. And it pissed me off that I was falling asleep. <laughs> and you see what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be mm-hmm. because I enjoyed it so much. So what would you give it? I will give it a 93. Okay. I think I'll give it a 90. Not quite as high. I, I, I do think it's pretty stellar. It's beautiful. The acting is great. Remarkably, the children are fantastic in this movie, especially Miles. Mm-hmm. And I love the way it carries that. It like walks that tightrope of real or not very effectively all the way to the bitter end. And I really appreciated that. Very, very good. And if you didn't watch it, you still should. All right. My top 10, Kelsey. Six way tie for number eight. 90 points each. 54's Dial M for Murder. 61's The Innocents. 53's House of Wax. Somebody likes the old movies. 63's The Haunting. Yep. 68's Night of the Living Dead. Yep. And 73's The Exorcist. All old originals. Okay. Yeah, the, the most recent is, those are in chronological order, so the, the most recent is 73's The Exorcist uh, in that tied for eighth. Tied for sixth place, though, 2014's Ex Machina. I gave a 91. As well as... Suspiria from 77. Tied for fourth place with a 92 that I gave it. Uh, 2010's Black Swan. And another movie, which we haven't seen on our list yet. Actually, the rest of my list, we still have yet to see. My four, three, two, and one. So one of my tied for fourth places. My third, second, and first movies are all four, three, two, and one. Though not in that same order. Okay. Well, let's go back to the list then. Get that right out of the way. This is the movie that was tied with Black Swan at number four with 92 points from me. From May 18th, episode 136, 1997's Perfect Blue. Oh, I love Perfect Blue. I thought you were going to say that. A Rotten Tomatoes of 78 for some weird reason because people don't like it. It was 97. People are stupid. Reviewers probably weren't used to reviewing anime and reviewed it as a concept instead of the film itself understanding that cartoons can be for adults as well yeah especially in the 90s yeah totally you gave it a 95 i gave it a 92 and eileen gave it an 85 actually she liked black swan more than she liked perfect blue she'd never seen perfect blue so that was the first time Mm -hmm. yeah she was not as big of a fan as we were she still liked it yeah, oh no, absolutely. 85, it's a great score. Fantastic movie that a lot of other movies since then have stolen from, including Black Swan, because Darren Aronofsky, who made Black Swan, he bought the rights of remake to Perfect Blue just so he could do that. We talked about this. Just so we can do that one bath scene in Requiem for a Dream. We talked about all of this, but it... There's a lot of things that the cinematography for an animated film at the time is just insane. It does incredible things that are avant-garde 
not in the way that you would normally expect a cartoon to be avant-garde. You know, avant-garde cartoons, you would expect just psychedelic, bright colors or whatever, and this isn't like that. It's more noirish in a really great way. Perfect Blue is outstanding. It's it really is. such a fascinating look at a ruptured psyche uh-huh. that is also being tormented from outside as well. Yeah, it has a lot of similar themes and plot beats to Black Swan, which is why we combined the two, and they're both very, very good. Here's what we had to say at the time about 1997's Perfect Blue. Mima was a pop star. This is Mima's last performance with Cham. Who desired to become an actress. I really hope that I can entertain you just the same as an actress. But sometimes aspirations can be deadly. I'm always watching Mima's room. In the world of make-believe. This is when Mima proves herself. The price of fame. Don't worry, Mima, it'll be all right. May not be worth the cost of identity. (laughs) Where did this come from? How do they know so much? Innocence is lost. (laughs) Dreams become nightmares. And privacy no longer exists. Where everything you do can be seen by everyone. And those you trust are really those you should fear. Your life no longer belongs to you. Excuse me. Manga Entertainment presents Satoshi Khan's animated psychological thriller. Perfect Blue. Excuse me, who are you? Excuse me, who are you? Should people watch the movie? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Maybe if you're not like 12 like I was, but maybe when you're older. <laughs> it wasn't as creepy as I thought, but I was like, I can see why maybe I shouldn't have watched this when I was oh, young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of the more graphic movies that we watched in terms of things that, you know, you might not want your kids seeing. <laughs> there's like, there's scenes that we got really upset, uh, upset mm-hmm. about in um, Man Bites Dog, for instance. Also, the company that released it in America is called G-Kids. G-Kids, yes. Oh, no. They do, like, adult Uh animation, but it's like, oh, you kept the name Mm G-Kids. It's not all for kids. That's so funny. I think a final thought for Perfect Blue is this movie can easily be replicated, like, in live action, kind of like it does in Black Swan. But the way Satoshi Kon, like, animates it is like, oh, this could only have been an animated feature. The way the like cognitive dissonance of the memories and her, the illusions, how it's like so difficult to tell is like an attribute that really mm-hmm. could only be conveyed very successfully and seamlessly with animation. Aronofsky will try in black Swan and I'll try to point those out, but he's kind of abandoned the idea of just straight up remaking it. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. So instead he used those ideas that he owns for this. Which is probably for the best. Mm-hmm. Like you probably. don't want to just totally adapt it. Like, Maybe it's a little bit derivative, but it's still a very original work. Interestingly, it was originally supposed to be live action, uh, but they lost investors. And so they're like, well, I guess we'll have to do it animated. Mm-hmm. And they ended up making a very impressive impressive animated movie. Yeah, I, ultimately, I think this movie is excellent. That's why when I saw it, I immediately made my own version of the Cham costume <laughs> and I wore it for Halloween that year. Oh. And um, yeah, so we've shared that on Twitter if you want to see it. Yeah, if you're, if you're following us on Twitter, you've already seen this. So, but you can't see my head. And that was me 10 years ago, people. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie is fantastic. 
I think it does an excellent job, uh, both with the animation. I love the style of it. I love the colors. I love the lines. I mean, there's a lot of kind of straight lines going on, and I appreciated that. I thought it was very pretty to look at. And then on top of that, just the story itself is fantastic, and he told it, like you said, beautifully. If they were to do it in live action, I imagine that all those moments of her seeing herself, like, yeah, you can make her look like she's light and ethereal mm-hmm. with CG, but it's going to be CG, it's and you're going to be able weird, to tell. Yeah. <laughs> and you could just have her there, but then it doesn't have that effect. And so it's like, I think I think you're right. I think that doing it in anime was a great Apparently, they didn't want to do it that way, but it was a great Well, not decision. originally. That wasn't the plan, but mm-hmm. yeah, it just turned out that way. I will say this. They did turn it into a live-action film, which by all accounts is awful. Oh. <laughs> is it? Yeah. I, had, I didn't know that. I've never seen it. There's actually a sequel to the book, too. So the the original book is called Perfect Blue Complete Metamorphosis. Mm. And in 95, Yoshikazu Takeuchi made Perfect Blue Awaken from a Dream, Mm. which I don't know. Has it been adapted? Maybe that's, I don't know. I'm curious how the end of the book is. Haven't read it. (laughs) Does it end with Rumi saying it or does it end (laughs) with Mima saying it? Well, it's tech, so it could be for yeah, anybody. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the thing. They're different mediums, and they would have different tools, I think, to make it unclear. So, what do you guys think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? So, how many reviewers, what percentage-wise, had, had a positive perception of the film? So, since I rented it, like, they have the little indicators yeah, on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was worried about that. You don't get to guess. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what it was. But I have a ballpark number. Kelsey, you guess first, and yeah. then we'll hear that. I would guess this is an 83. I believe I saw that it was a 78. It is a 78. <laughs> Which I think is kind of low. Yes, it, it does not have a Metacritic or a cinema score, but the consensus statement on Rotten Tomatoes is, Perfect Blue is, gasp, over-stylized. <gasps> But its core mystery is always compelling, as are the visual theatrics. It is very stylized, but I would hesitate to call it over I love over-stylized. that style. That's not yeah. a con. <laughs> exactly. It's the Toshi con. <laughs> Sorry, that was really good. <laughs> so, over, underrated is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, totally. Underrated. Okay. Underrated. What would you guys give it? I'm going to say this one first because, Eileen, I really want to hear what you have to say and I want to ask you questions about it. So I'm just going to say really quickly, I think this deserves a 95. Okay, Eileen? Considering I've seen like all of his other movies and you know this is a really amazing debut film, I would give it an 85%. Just because I think it's a little bit rough, but it is a really solid film. But he explores very similar themes in like Millennium Actress, Paprika, and I think he does it like a little bit better in those. Yeah, so, this is early yeah. Satoshi How Kai. so? I just think the way the story flows is a little bit clunky. Like, I think it works really well with how visceral uh, you experience her emotions. But I just think in, like, Millennium Actress and Paprika and, like, all those other films, I think the exploration of the themes is a little bit deeper, I guess. Oh, okay. And, like, the characters are more fleshed out. And imperfect blue like the characters are a little tropey like they're not fully explored it's more about the premise and the mystery mm-hmm. as opposed to like the character development and how you see them i guess that's really interesting i 
was thinking about this and I didn't know what I wanted to give it. I'm surprised you gave it a 95. I think it's an outstanding movie. So do I. Which is making me like, <laughs> oh my God, what am I missing out on? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> well, I think this, the oeuvre. <laughs> this, has, this has the added element of being a psychological thriller, which I think is kind of your wheelhouse when it comes to horror films. Mm-hmm. So mine too, I think. So I would put it, oh man, um, I'm going to give it a 92. I'm going to give it a 92. So why just a little bit below Kelsey? (laughs) Uh, I mean, a lot of this is just what feels right at the time. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I just 95 just struck me as being too high for my Mm. personal opinion. But I knew I wanted it to be at least a 90. Mm. So not an A, A minus. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. He doesn't think of it that way. You and I think of it that way, which is why when like. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Does this deserve a 60 or is it 59? I just don't know. And he's like, what's the difference? And I'm like, you don't know the difference. It's like, it's a D or it's an F. (laughs) Yeah, this will probably end up on our best of the year list at the end. I think it's such a fantastic movie. I I just love it. Yeah, it does things so well. And very succinctly, because it's only like an hour and 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. and I, we, we have talked longer than the movie is. <laughs> and I appreciate a movie that knows how to tell its story without padding and fluff. Mm-hmm. Coming in at number three from October 12th, episode 157, 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Again, an episode not a lot of people are listening to. Which is nuts. It is so good. Movie is incredible. It was, it was, it blew me away. It was not at all what I was expecting it to be. Neither of us had seen it before this. And there's a reason why people won't stop talking about it. Even if you know the ending already. Yeah, everybody knows what the Invasion of the Body Sanders is about. That's not the point. The point is to watch it, and it's so well done. Something down to just the relationships between the characters. The ease of communication between these characters, it it's so well written and performed to be believable yet entertaining. And it's so good. It's so sad at the end, too. It really is. It has a 93 Rotten Tomatoes. You gave it a 95. I gave it a 94. It's just that good. Yes. Here's what we had to say at the time about... 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. From deep space. A space flower? Why not a space flower? The seed is planted. Why do we always expect metal ships? It smells lovely. Put it down, Jack. Terror grows. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Donald Sutherland. Brooke Adams. Leonard Nimoy. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Rated PG. Starts this week at a theater near you. Should people watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978? Yes. 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 Uh, It's... Resounding yes. It genuinely lives up to its stature. Yes, it's very good. Highly recommended. I mean, that's all there is to say about it. We'll get into it when we talk about the film itself. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to guess very high, 96 Not far off, 93%. Employing gritty camera work and evocative sound effects. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Invasion. Guys, you should have seen his face. He's so excited. (laughs) Vindication! 
Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a powerful remake that expands upon themes and ideas only lightly explored in the original. A Metacritic of 75. And I think the reason is, is that when the movie first came out, it was just kind of, eh. Yeah, it's good. And it got more popularity as time went on. That's pretty surprising. This movie, this movie, you surprised me. Yeah. I was not expecting it to be anywhere near as good as it was. So do you think 93 is overrated or underrated? I'm trying to decide what I want to give it. I think the movie's so well shot, so well acted, well written, surprising, gross, scary, creepy, but a little long. A little long. Things were in it that didn't need to be in it. There's a whole segment we don't talk about where Bunnell is trying to get answers from people in the government, which is a very effective scene, but not useful for our summary purposes. Right. I mean, everything in this movie is good. There's yeah. nothing about this movie that's like bad, but it, there's just parts where you're like, there's maybe this, a little too much of it. You could have taken this out. Yeah. And no one would have cared. Yeah. So, but like, if that's the worst thing we're going to say. Like, if it, we were talking about Exorcist the beginning last week, and it's like, no, this this movie is just, like, painfully long and boring, even when exciting stuff is happening. Like, it is way longer than it needs to be. Or was that The Heretic? I don't even remember. I think they were both that way. I think they both were that yeah. way. This isn't like that. It's just, just a little too long. And that's that's, like, the worst thing we can say about it. Yeah. So, I'm going to give it a 95. 95 is pretty dang good. Yeah. And I, um, the length is an issue just because I feel like, you know, like they go from scene to scene and it feels like what has changed, you know? Oh, they're running again. Oh, they're in safety. Oh, they're running again. Oh, they're in safety. Right. And like, normally that would make me mad, but it's all so well done. Yes. That it's okay. All those scenes are really good. So, yeah, maybe just maybe just one point lower. I'll go with a 94. But this I was I again, I'd never seen this movie before. I was very pleasantly surprised that it held up to its status as a horror classic. Mm -hmm. So very, very happy about that. Coming in at number two from September 21st, episode 154, just three episodes prior to the last one. 1991's Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Of course. That's funny because you put Ex Machina on your top 10 list, but that didn't make ours because I didn't give it as high a score. You didn't give it as high a score, yeah. Uh -huh. But Terminator 2, fuck yeah, I did. Yes. Uh, 93 Rotten Tomatoes, 97 from you, 93 from me. Wow. For an I average of 95. What the fuck? You know... Here's the thing. I'll let you in on a little secret. I was going to wait until we got to our number one movie. Neither one of us handed out a 100 this year. Well, you know. Hundreds are hard to come by. You don't. I think you've done like two or three the entire time. We've. I hand out hundreds more often, but even, even me, I didn't get up to it. Uh, I did not break 95, actually. 95 is the highest rating I gave uh, wow. a movie. Mm -hmm. 97 is the highest rating you gave a movie. For Terminator 2? And our number one. Oh. Of course, it's Terminator 2. I mean, come on. What more do we have to say? Go and see it. 
You haven't seen it. Here's what we had to say at the time about 1991's Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Jump, 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 jump. Same make. These were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now, his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. You should all own this anyway, I think. Just skipping right to the should people watch T2. Kelsey, what do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely you should. It's a fantastic movie. Should they watch? Well, we'll get into it. I was going to ask you if they should watch the theatrical or the extended cut. It depends on who you ask. Some people like the theatrical cut because it's better paced. It doesn't have an extra 30 minutes of fat that could definitely be cut. I'm going to get into the scenes that got cut. But like one or two of these scenes, I can't imagine the movie without it. So that's the struggle of, of which one you you pick. As an artifact and knowing as much as you want to about it because you really enjoy the movie and you want more of it – the extended cut. But if you want like the better crafted, like paced film, the theatrical cut. Pick your poison. But we'll be talking about the extended cut today. The acting is great. The direction is fantastic. It was industry shaking in terms of special effects, even though it wasn't the first one to do a lot of this stuff. That doesn't matter. It impressed the most people. It was the most effective. They did the best. Yeah, you mentioned while we were watching it, and it's absolutely true that that effect of his head coming together in the helicopter or whatever. Yeah. Yes, I remember. That was something they were- Fucking everywhere. They were super proud of it. Yes. You saw it a lot (laughs) in different things. It's just really good, and the soundtrack is very good, very suspenseful, the- I love the cinematography. I really like the blue lighting that we have through most of the film uh-huh. that they did. And the story is so good. Honestly, if it weren't for the corny like narration. Like projection, those scenes too. Yeah. And the occasional, yeah. It's not perfect. But other than that, this movie's so good. But Kelsey, can I please convince you that 100 does not mean perfect? Because I know you're not going to give this movie a hundred because you don't think it's perfect. It's not. Like you reserve 100 for like one movie and one movie only. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Keeping in mind that the original, when we recorded that episode, 
had a 100. 97? 93. Wow. T2 features thrilling action sequences and eye-popping visual effects, but what takes this sci-fi action landmark to the next level is the depth of the human and cyborg characters. Metacritic of 75, though. Everyone liked this movie, or almost everyone liked this movie, but they didn't rate it very highly. Cinema score, though, of an A+, which we do not see very often. People coming out of this movie had such a good time. They fucking loved it. Well, I understand why. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's scary. It's suspenseful. It's cute and sweet. It's everything. Yeah, uh-huh. So 93 Rotten Tomatoes, do you think that's uh, overrated or underrated? Just slightly underrated. What would you give it, keeping in mind that you gave the original, and so did I, a 94? I'm give it a 97. 97. That's pretty dang high. Mm-hmm. That's one of your higher scores. You've only scored two movies higher than a 97 ever. Poltergeist, you gave a 99, and Rosemary's Baby, like I said, is your only 100 you've ever handed out. But you've given 97s to Silence of the Lambs, 7, and of course, Aliens. So, yeah, it has a good company, I guess I would say. I would say so. I think this is ever so slightly, ever so slightly... Not as good as the first. I don't think that it's the... Like, I see how T2 is the better created film. But I, but the end product of the first one is just more important to me, I think. So, I will give this one a 93. Just one point lower than what I gave the original. But seriously, absolutely stellar movie. Incredible. All right, before we get into our number one movie of 2020, Kelsey, your top 10. You have a four-way tie for eighth place with 90 points again. So we don't have anything less than 90 on our top 10s. 54's Dial M for Murder, 63's The Haunting, 68's Night of the Living Dead, and 73's The Exorcist. There you go. At 91, uh, seventh place, Suspiria. Sixth place with 93, The Innocents. And tied for third place, a three-way tie at 95. You gave 95s to 1993's Hocus Pocus, 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and 1997's Perfect Blue. That Those are all tied for number three. And tied for first place with a 97 from you. 1991's Terminator 2 Judgment Day and... Our number one movie of the year. We'll just get right into it right now. From July 27th, episode 146, 1986's Aliens. Nice. 97 Rotten Tomatoes, 97 from Kelsey, 95 (laughs) from me. 96 average. In in the worst, I was like, well, of course we got sequels. But But in the best, we got sequels too. Yeah. uh Not as many as were in the worst, though, but. And I don't like this as much as I like Alien. I'm one of those people. You know, Beatles or Elvis. It's Alien or Aliens. Terminator 1 or Terminator 2. I probably would watch Terminator 2 before Terminator 1. But I think I like Terminator 1 more. (laughs) But definitely for Aliens. I would much, much, much rather watch Alien. 
But Aliens is incredible. Aliens is so good. So, so good. Leave her alone, you bitch. (laughs) It's pretty fascinating to see some of the stuff that they did practically. Mm -hmm. So impressive. James Cameron is insane. (laughs) He is a lunatic who wishes he could live on the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Here's what we had to say at the time about 1986's Aliens. We homed in on an alien ship which destroyed my crew. She'll risk everything to destroy them. They mostly come at night. Go to infrared, people. These people are here to protect you. Multiple signals. They're soldiers. What's happening, Apol? It won't make any difference. Sigourney Weaver. Aliens, the new movie. Come on! R. Should people... Watch Aliens. Of course. Of course. This is my favorite of the whole series. It's not my favorite of the whole series, but it is very, very good, and you should absolutely see it. Anything else to say? Uh, Great movie. Everybody should see it. Yeah. It's really good. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Better be fucking high. Um, At least 84. It has a 97. Good. Which is one percentage lower than the original, which had a 98. While Alien was a marvel of slow-building atmospheric tension, Aliens packs a much more visceral punch and features a typically strong performance from Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Its Metacritic is 84, and its cinema score is an A. Good. People came out of that movie feeling very good. Good. Keeping in mind, you gave the original a 95, I gave it a 100. What would you give Aliens? I was going to give it a 97. Really? So even like exactly on with the Rotten Tomatoes score? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, that was the score I already had in mind. I was going between 96 and 97. That's funny. I had a 95 all set up for myself. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. Because <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> the first one's better. It's a matter of personal preference. I understand. They're both incredibly good. Listen, if you're a regular listener, you know how much I love patient movies that build tension through patience i can appreciate it yes but i squirm i understand i I appreciate it it, and i can see what they're doing and an alien absolutely it works but still i'm like dude we've been sitting here for like you know 10 minutes and nothing's happened like i get it it's funny that we sat like we're talking like we have completely differing opinions on it you gave it a 97 i gave it a 95 i know i'm just saying it bothers me Uh uh-huh And it's just because I grew up with this one. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Like, so for me, it's just like, it's a little bit better just because I know it more, probably. Would it bother you to say that I think Terminator 1 is the better movie? I already know you think that. And again, you're wrong. I like Terminator 2 more. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I enjoy Terminator 2 more. I think Terminator 1 is the better movie, though. You're wrong. Both films took great movies And simply built on them? And made them action-packed romps, which neither of the first films are. You say that, and I get what you mean. They completely changed the genres. I see what you're saying. It's hilarious, because I don't like action. I know. But I like both these, because like I said, (laughs) it takes these fantastic premises, and it just 
builds on them. It doesn't negate anything that happened yep. in the first film. It doesn't say, oh, that's bullshit. We're throwing that out. None of that. Mm-hmm. It it builds on it. Yeah. And everything it has to build on, I like. Fair enough. So it's think- better because it's more of what you like. In fact, the only reason it's not getting a 100, I can think of a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just a little too long. And I get that. I get that we watched the director's cut. It's just a little too long. <laughs> and then on top of that, the little girl's accent is weird and distracting. It definitely is. And it's not that she's a bad actress. She's a child and she's perfectly fine. Okay? She's not the most, she's not going to be Gage from Pet Cemetery, but she's also not every other horrible ch- yeah. child we've ever seen on a, in a horror movie. She's very much in the middle and closer to the side that's good, but still it is very distracting the way she talks. And then thirdly, and I'm going to say this one a little bit, because I don't know exactly, because obviously I wasn't alive when this came out, so I never got to see it in the theaters, and I don't know how people experienced it I was alive when this came out. In the theater. Did you experience this in the theaters? Yep, I did. No, I didn't. was three years old. <laughs> My point being, I totally get his decision to keep it dark, but I will tell you this. This seeing it on art, we we have a pretty a pretty nice TV, um, <laughs> the nicest TV I've ever had, and I can tell you right now, this is the first time that I was like, oh, I've literally never seen half of the aliens that are in this movie. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Just never seen them because it's always been so dark. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an idiot. I knew what was supposed to be in the darkness. Yeah. It's just that I just kind of assumed. That, like, it's there, but you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time that I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> there's all these aliens everywhere. Yeah. And I think that's, it's a good thing, but it's also a problem. Yeah. I never knew that <laughs> it was in the film. Well, you didn't have a Laserdisc player. I definitely you did not. You didn't see it in the theater. Nope. Which are two scenarios where you might have had a better chance to actually see it. But even still, with a Laserdisc player, you're, it's only going to be as good as the TV you're watching it on. So, yeah. yeah. But so, like, I, I think that while that was a good decision, he also needed to consider that. Just buy the set on Blu-ray. Right. But, like, I, I I'm not, grew I'm not up suggesting with that for you. I'm saying for the people out there. And for the past 30 years, I never knew uh-huh. that there were that many aliens on the screen. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I think there's a lot to, to like about I, aliens. And I do. I would just like to point out that despite the fact that I said Alien is better, I gave this movie my highest rating of the year so far. So, like, I fucking love this movie. But, yeah, I like the first one better. (laughs) All right, that is our top ten. The best movies that we watched in 2020. Starting with a six-way tie at seventh place with 90-point average from Kelsey and myself. 1954's Dial M for Murder, 93's Hocus Pocus, 63's The Haunting, 2010's Black Swan, 1968's Night of the Living Dead, and 1973's The Exorcist. Coming in at 6th place, 77's Suspiria. 5th place, 61's The Innocents. 4th place, 97's Perfect Blue. 3rd place, 78's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. 
second place with a 95-point average, 1991's Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and the best movie we watched last year for the show, at 96 points, 1986's Aliens. What do you think of the list, Kelsey? That's a very good list. It's a very, very good list. Every single one of those movies we can recommend to you. Yes. Every single one. Interestingly, the one that I think people will dislike the most or the most people will dislike or think shouldn't be on here is Hocus Pocus. But it's just so important to us that it has to be on this list. I love it. 100%. (laughs) All right. That is the year in review. We've gone through two episodes, the worst of and the best of 1920-20. Fuck on out of here. Piss off, ghost. Next week, we've already told people what we're watching next week, but can you remind us, Kelsey, what are we watching in next week's episode? We're going to finish out the Scream series. Scream 3 and Scream 4, which are on either side of our 20-year-old antique measurement, which comes from, if you didn't already know, if you're 100 whatever episodes into this series and (laughs) you didn't already know how we determine... What a classic movie is and what a modern movie is, it is a 20-year cutoff as established by the movie Christine. Yes. It is 20 years old. Even though it's wrong. That makes it officially an antique. Do you realize she's 20 years old? I mean, that makes her officially an antique. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we're wrapping up the Scream franchise, assuming they don't make any more, which I'm sure they will eventually. Are they making a five right now? Probably. That is next week. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com. Follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery. I swear, guys, there's a lot of extra content that goes up on Twitter that you're not seeing if you do not follow us. So please do. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give to us on that front. A bigger help than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much for listening. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Well, thankfully, we can end 2020, the god-awful year that it was, with these good movies that we got to see. Agreed. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. Politics to the sacred place. To see the dream I can't escape more fantastic movie that a lot of other movies since then have stolen from including perfect blue and perfect blue stole sorry. from itself sorry black swan do you remember that from no no oh. what's that from it's from Thor Cool. Ragnarok. I kind of remember that. The rock monster played by... Tawiti. Taika Waititi, yeah. Taika Waititi. <laughs> Waititi! <laughs> What's the actual year amount? Oh. I thought you knew. No. I don't know. I don't think there is an official anything. 
I thought you thought, I thought you knew say. it was wrong. No, it's just 20 seems ridiculous. Anyway. I mean, think about anything made in the 90s being antique. Everything in the 90s is now an antique. Everything from the year 2000 is an antique now. A Backstreet Boys album can be considered antique. 25. It's 25? The Antique Automobile Club of America defines an antique car as over 25 years of age. Interesting. (laughs) We're not talking cars here. We are using, because it comes from Christine. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying he's wrong. One of our favorite horror movies that we have watched going on a dozen times, I'm sure. We love Christine. We have to use that as our measurement. Yes. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. As I wave to nobody. waving to no one but me. (laughs) 